As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Straight Out of Cobham. Now I know what you're thinking. Those aren't the dulcet tones of Matt Davis-Adams. And you'd be bloody right. This is Liam Toomey, obviously, and I am standing in for Matt as host this week. There hasn't been a dressing room fallout, I can assure you of that. He will be back soon, but he's not available today. And the other main drawback of me hosting, slash benefit, depending on your point of view, is that I can't tee myself up for a corny one-liner. But what I can do is introduce Simon Johnson, um, who's joining us from a hotel utility room in Abu Dhabi. Uh, how are you doing, Simon? Yeah, uh, greetings, everyone, from this luxurious penthouse suite uh, that's in my dreams. Um, yes, I'm out here in Abu Dhabi. It's great to speak to you, Liam. It's great to speak to familiar voice. And thank you for your patience before we start recording, because I went on a rant about my delightful trip so far. No, it's fine. I mean, it's... It's kind of intimidating, you know, trying to helm the ship without Matt. It does feel a bit really like Chelsea. It, it does feel a bit like Chelsea trying to win the Club World Cup without Thomas Tuchel. Um, <laughs> but we'll yeah. do our best. So, so um, you Zolt low or or honour <laughs> Michelle's? Oh, uh, we'll let the listeners decide. Reply in the comments. That could be dangerous, but we're going to do our best to to wrap up the Al Hilal game. Chelsea making it through to their second Club World Cup final, a chance to to tick off the one trophy that they haven't won in the Roman Abramovich era and become world champs um, and also answer a few of your questions. But first of all, Simon, you were at the game. Um, yep. That's the whole the whole point of you being out there. You were at the game for us. Is it? What? <laughs> I, 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 I want to this top up my tan. <laughs> I want this answer to be dripping in colour. What, oh dear. What, what was the atmosphere like being at the stadium? What did you make of Chelsea's performance? Um, first and foremost, the atmosphere was quite interesting. I, I spoke to a few Chelsea fans, as in local Chelsea fans, before I went in. And one of them was like, oh, we'll outnumber Al Hilal. We're, we're, you know, we're massive here, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wow, amazing. He goes, he goes you'll see, you'll see when, when you get inside. Well, I could barely hear the Chelsea fans throughout the entire game. Um, maybe there was a, 
obviously Al Hilal, Saudi Arabia, they didn't have quite as far to travel and they certainly were up for it. I think you probably also had locals that were sort of cheering on the underdog. Um, so it actually made for a really good atmosphere. It was about, um, I think when the game started, it looked about half empty. Um, and so you're going, oh, this, this is, you know, a bit underwhelming. But the seats sort of increasingly filled up. There's an attendance of 19,000, but it felt like more than that. Um, and I think that, that made it feel like quite an away game for Chelsea. Um, you occasionally heard like the, the pocket of Chelsea fans, I think the English-based ones who, who've made the trip, you could hear some Chelsea, Chelsea, you know, sort of coming out. And they were instantly sort of hushed or sort of like over, everyone else responded to them and drowned them out with their own noise. So I found the atmosphere great. And I think Al-Hilal, um, their performance, particularly when they really pushed in uh, sort of in the last stage of the second half, it made for a good, it felt like a cup tie. As for Chelsea's performance, um, <laughs> I, I tweeted, I went, it's like Plymouth all over again. I mean, okay, Al Hilal didn't score, but there were quite a lot of shaky moments. And and Chelsea, they they could have. It's not even just Plymouth again. It's it's just Chelsea in general. They could have uh, scored more when they were on top. They didn't. The oppositions get encouragement because of that. They're still in it, and and Chelsea end up having to thank Kepa yet again for uh, for getting them through a cup game. Yeah, I tweeted at full time and I love quoting myself. Is there such a thing as an alarming win? Because I think I just saw one. Chelsea were about as poor as they could possibly get away with being there. Um, And I had some responses from people saying, well, that's maybe a bit harsh. They were actually quite good in the first half, as they often are under Tuchel. They seem to start with quite good energy in games. Um, And then it kind of fades away when they don't take enough chances to, to properly kill the game the other team just comes back into it. And it it almost felt, I don't know if you felt this, Simon, but it almost felt to me like after about 60 minutes, they were physically flagging. Um, yeah. And they'd, I mean, they'd had this long break, this long lead up to the, to the Plymouth game, or at least long, you know, relative to what they've been through since November with this, with this schedule. Um, Al Hilal played two days ago and, or, or two days before this game. And it felt like they were kind of, fresh as daisies and coming on really strong and pressing Chelsea into mistakes. Sometimes Chelsea were just making mistakes and, and, and Chelsea just, their intensity just fell off a cliff. That, that was my thoughts anyway. What, what did you think? Yeah, um, I agree with you. I mean, it was quite interesting that, um, so I don't think I'm risking a massive embargo break here. Um, a few of us went and spoke to Marcus Alonso today and I started off by just going, oh, you know, how have you guys been, you know, since the break, uh, winter break, you know, you've had a couple of tough games. And and Marcus did sort of say that, you know, the break was good, but it, it's funny how just, even though it was only essentially a, just a week off because they had to return to training um, after the first week. But he said, it's funny how that little break enough is enough to just throw you off your rhythm a little bit and, and sort of almost have to start all over again. And you do, we, I think, you can safely say we, we've been left, with, you know, journalists, fans, would have been left with that impression of the last two games because, I mean, Plymouth sort of finished the stronger and, and Chelsea ended up sort of needing Kepa to save that penalty. Um, and, you know, the two saves that Kepa made late on, late in the second half against Al Halal was very so. Also, I, I don't know about what you thought, Liam, but the substitution at half-time and then Golo coming on and then Golo... We don't know what's up with him at the moment, but 
it's like there's an imposter there. He's not himself. Um, he doesn't seem to have the energy. He's passing. He's off. And I, I just thought that coincided with, with with Chelsea losing their grip of the game too. But I'm sure we'll get on to Lukaku in a minute. But I but I thought Lukaku conversely actually got stronger um, after he scored. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I didn't agree with what some people were saying that he just didn't look interested for for ninety plus minutes. I thought he had no. moments of clear frustration with teammates, which has been a recurring theme. Well basically since he came into the team, but he did keep trying things. He did keep making runs and, and trying to put himself in positions. It just seemed like he's still nowhere near on the same wavelength as, as most of these guys. I mean, he, he had a couple of potential link-ups with Ziyech. I know they're quite good friends, aren't they? And I, I think that, mm. you know, maybe that's the most promising connection among Chelsea's forwards if, if they're ever going to unlock the Kaku, but it, it doesn't feel like it's the the level of slickness with any of Chelsea's forwards that it that it needs to be, especially when you look at what Al Hilal did. You know they've got, I mean, they've got a good coach in, in Leonardo Jardim, who I think a lot of people were surprised to to find his coaching in Saudi Arabia, yeah. given he was coaching you know a Monaco team that reached a Champions League semi final only a few years ago. Um, and of course, they've got some high profile players that played at high level in Europe: Odiagalo, Musa Mbrega. Um, Andre Carrillo, but some of the combinations they were putting together, like little first time passes around the corner, little give and goes, and it just kind of hammers home how stilted it still is in Chelsea's attack by comparison. When you look at the level of talent, I, mean, I remember there was a moment in the um, in the FA Cup game where it was there was a little give and go, wasn't there, between Mount and Ziyech, where Ziyech sort of flicked the ball back around the corner, Mount fired it yeah. low across the box and Lukaku just missed it. Um, yeah, yeah. And that felt, you know, promising, but also quite jarring. It was like, th- th- this is what mm. should be happening a lot more often. This, th- how quick and fast these combinations are. And you, it was also happening against, the, you know, a vastly inferior opposition in the domestic cup rather than, I don't, I don't think we've seen too much of that at all, really, in, in Premier League games. It all seems very systematic and quite, quite rigid and unnatural still or at least to me and that that doesn't seem to be helping Lukaku either it, it doesn't look like they're enjoying themselves mm. you, you know that sort of love of the game that kind of oh we're out here having a great fun you, you sort of don't see enough of that even when Lukaku scored it wasn't like he went yeah you know love loved the moment okay look most of us could have scored that um, I think I might have fancied my chances even at my age but it was it was a significant moment for him, you know. Given he's he's only scored, well, he's gone six games without a, a goal. His only other goal since that interview uh, was against Chesterfield. But it proved to be the winning goal, and and but yeah, he, he I mean, he, he gave um, Havertz a hug, and and it, it seemed to be like a thank you because Havertz it, it sort of inadvertently came from his cross, although it took an Al Hilal defender to have a hellish touch. But yeah, uh, th- but then there were other moments where, like, even for that goal, there was a pass that Kovacic played, and it was exactly the kind of service Lukaku wants. It was sort of to the side of the defender, and it meant that Lukaku could kind of roll him, and then he got a shot off that that unfortunately was just a bit too close to keep. But you sort of went, yes, that's that's the service he needs. So it's not just the attacking players; it's the kind of service that Lukaku is getting. But I did feel like. 
that goal was a was a did give Lukaku even against its Al Hilal in the Club World Cup semi final. I did feel like his his um, appetite for the game um, and his influence on the game increased after that moment. It's like he he, he did have a bit more of a confidence boost. Um, but yeah, that's not to say he did enough. Um, there's still a lot more to come from him and Chelsea will hope that he does that in the, in Saturday's final. Um, I think within the club, there's a, there's a sort of a bit of a, an acceptance that there's a lot of circumstances that have contributed to Lukaku being in, in the sort of condition he currently is in the, the, the injury COVID um, that it set him back and he's he, he's now sort of got no time to get into the kind of shape that he wants to be in, to be the Lukaku that people forget at the start of the season, you know, after those first few games when he was just bullying defenders, everyone was declaring Chelsea's title favourites. Um, so I, I still think, you know, those people writing Lukaku off, I, I understand the frustration, but it's far too early but we may have to wait until next season to see the best from him. Yeah, I agree. It's far too early. And we're, we're, I guess we'll find out, won't we, beginning with Saturday, how much of it is just he needed a goal and how much of it yeah. is down to the sort of deeper-seated issues that have, that Chelsea have had with their attack in general. Um, the, big, the big talking point I thought before the game was Kai Havertz playing. That's what mm-hmm. you can, you can, you can look at me that way if you want, but I thought that was the, the significant thing no, about Chelsea's lineup. Um, first start in more than a month since Spurs when he broke yeah. his finger. Only his second start alongside Lukaku. I know it wasn't the front two, but um, since September. So they, they they haven't had a lot of opportunities to build chemistry. What, what did you make of Havertz's performance? Yeah, I mean, great minds, Liam, because I I, um, I tweeted when when the team came out, I sort of went, I went, oh, you know, first first time they've started together since the Tottenham, well, I think I said over a month, but it was the Tottenham game where they actually looked good, didn't they, in that first mm. half? And then, unfortunately, Havertz busted his finger. And then that started his unfortunate sort of absence from the side. But, yeah, I liked, I liked you know, again, a bit like Lukaku, you can't get carried away. You can't sort of say, oh, yes, Kai Havertz, magnificent and should now start every game. But I thought we got to see a bit more of what he can do. And I particularly liked the run. He suddenly showed sort of great pace down the left. And then it was the most delightful little chip. Okay, it was from a narrow angle, but it was beautifully over the keeper. And then, of course, hit the post. He just went, yeah, that's that's what Chelsea have paid money for. So it's only one performance. And I'm sure Kai Havertz wants to play a lot more. and, And inevitably, that means... Chelsea should get more out of him as a result because, you know, like I said, that was his first appearance for over a month. The problem is, is that if you play Havertz and Lukaku, then you've got a decision to make about the, the third, if, if it is the sort of traditional three uh, or three, four, two, one, or however two wants to do it. And it's between Mason Mount and Hakim Ziyech. And of course, Ziyech is on a pretty good run of form at the moment. I think people generally accept, but are you really going to leave Mason Mount outside? So it's... Um, it's uh yeah it's but these are the decisions too cool from wherever he is <laughs> um he's got to decide on for the final for example wherever he is right now there's still a debate whether he'll even get out here in time yeah it's a tough tough call to make on Saturday but I'd like to see um Havertz in the car again yeah you have to annoy someone don't you and I think <laughs> I uh, 
<laughs> well, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't doing that, of course. That's right, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, my my general impression with Havertz when I watch him play is e- even when he's not doing something super eye-catching like that run, which was a real sort of sit-up-in-your-chair moment, yeah. his movement is very clever. Uh, he's, he's a very positionally smart player. Um, quite, I think qu- he's got a good tactical understanding of of where he should be relative to his teammates. And he, he seems to make life a bit easier for them and for Chelsea's attack generally, regardless of where he starts, whether he's a false nine or one of the players behind the nine. It doesn't always translate into goals or assists, but I think it does have some sort of net positive impact. The thing is, you can kind of make a similar argument for Mason Mount. Um, and you can certainly say right now that Hakim Ziyech is, is probably the most informed Chelsea forward. Um, so, yeah, you have to annoy someone. Someone is going to be disappointed, most likely two or three people. Um, but Chelsea, so they've booked their place into the Club World Cup final. It will be Brazilian opposition again, as it was in Japan in 2012. This time it's Paul Meirash, um, who beat Al Athli, I think, pretty convincingly. I only saw highlights of that game, but it, it looked like they were they were pretty worthy winners. Do you know anything about them? Have you watched anything of them? The one thing that I know that I've been told to expect from them is that, you know, as is customary with the with the South American teams that reach this stage, they consider this their Champions League final. This is their biggest yeah, game yeah. of the season, one of the biggest games in their history, and they will approach it accordingly. Oh, for sure. And, and I actually... Um... Lucky for them, I bumped into some Palmeiras fans at breakfast this morning. Um, and uh, I think they were kind of horrified by the Englishman that was asking them questions about um, about the final. But they were very uh, they were very upbeat, very kind of, yeah, yeah, this is ours. Da, da, da. And, um, and I think there is a huge, huge difference between the hunger for this trophy. And I think it is being stressed in the Chelsea camp no, you know, come on, this is this is important. So you've got you've got a couple of um, key people around. You know, obviously Aspilicueta was was on the bench in that final ten years ago, but Petr Cech, the technical and performance advisor, he was um, of course in goal uh, against Corinthians. Um, yeah, so they'll be sort of hammering home to to everyone. Look, this is a golden opportunity to make history because Chelsea have never won this, this competition before. But the impression I'm getting is that Palmeiras are here in vast numbers compared to Chelsea fans. So I'm expecting, again, to, for Chelsea to feel like the away team on Saturday. Um, so that's another challenge they're going to have to overcome. I think Palmeiras fans are going to be very loud, very sort of behind their team as, as they should be. Um, and Chelsea have got to do their best to to subdue them. I'm disappointed that the uh, the wonder kid, is it Endrick, his name? Endrick, he's 15. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm disappointed that he's not here. <laughs> he's too young. He probably couldn't get a visa or something because he's too young. Um, but yeah. The, the cliche is uh, he's he's obviously got exams the next day or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, he's got some homework to do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of obviously chat about him at the moment and how he's the next wonder kid from Brazil and already stupid money being talked about him uh, in terms of how much he'll cost. But yeah, I think Chelsea are facing a really, they have a really difficult task. In, in, in my opinion, and, and listeners may not like me to say this, 
But I'm considering, given the way Chelsea played the last two games as well, I'm, I think they're going to this as underdogs for the two reasons. You know, I think Palmeiras, re- you know, the hunger for this um, and Chelsea just don't look at it, you know, in terms of, you know, they're not playing at their best. The caveat would be in recent weeks, apart from the Man City game, Chelsea have saved their best performances for the for the best teams or the biggest teams or the biggest games. You know, the three against Spurs and the Liverpool comeback. So, you know, that's a, that's a more optimistic way of looking at the game. But, I, you know, you could also argue the other way around that the expectation on the Palmeiras shoulders with all those fans there, that, that may actually sort of, you know, will they be the ones that feel the pressure more? So... There, I've, I've basically ended up by sitting on the fence after all. <laughs> I think you've covered your bases in case of any eventual outcome. Yeah, yes. Which is the that's the aim of any uh, on the ground journalist. I think <laughs> ahead of ahead of Could a football happen. match. Could happen. Good might might not happen. There you go. You read one it la- here or heard it here first. <laughs> one last thing on on Saturday's game. Any indication in Abu Dhabi? You've obviously been around Chelsea a bit today that Thomas Tuchel could make it out in time for the game. My impression when he tested positive ahead of the FA Cup match was that it was extremely unlikely because I've never personally tested positive, but I know people who have and they've been saying that, you know, you can get positive PCRs 10, 11 days after after you first tested positive, which would obviously be far too late for him to for him to make the final. Yeah, good question. He's he's testing every day. It sounds it hasn't been ruled out, but it's very touch and go. And there's that kind of question mark of, well, what happens if he comes out here and tests positive and he has to isolate ten days? He'd then have to he'd then have to do the the team would fly home and the coaching staff and he'd have to do his communication uh, result low etc on some dodgy hotel Wi-Fi like we're doing this uh, this podcast. <laughs> you just imagine him like during a game going, oh, um, shouting and rating, ranting and raving. But um, my instincts tell me, and, and to be honest, I'm like, what's the point now, you know? Um, of course, you'd rather have Tuchel here and on the sidelines. The press certainly would prefer to have Tuchel out here. No offence to his two assistants, but, you know, the press conferences aren't quite as dark. Is <laughs> dynamite as uh, they would be with Tuchel, but you know what's the point in risking a worse situation? Tuchel not being around back home, so yeah, I, I my instincts lead me to think that uh, yeah, he won't he won't be here on on Saturday. And but the players really shouldn't need their coach to be out here anyway. They know the job, the task at hand, and they should go out and perform. Well, our listeners might rather have Matt running his usual tight ship, but you can't always get what you want, can you? You know, that's right. The, yeah. Just got to deal with this. Right. That's everything on the game. Next up, your questions. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. 
Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. So I'm going to give this one to you first, Simon. Um, it is, in many ways, the most pressing question, um, particularly given how he's performed recently and how he performed in the in the Al Hilal game. Does Kepa get the nodding goal, or do you oh, bring yeah. back? Do you bring back the Africa Cup of Nations champion, Edouard Mendy? Can I first? Before I actually answer the question, can I can I just flag the fact that isn't it amazing? Isn't it great that we actually have this question? Like that, someone's even asked the question. You, you yeah. date it back a few months or even last season. It's like no chance. You wouldn't hear anyone go, "Oh, who would you play?" It would be Edward Manny. For me, I'd play Kepper. I think two reasons. One, he's in great form. He kind of deserves it after. I mean, it'd be a bit bit harsh after his last two performances. <laughs> to say, yeah. Yeah, thanks for getting us through in the FA Cup and the Club World Cup semi-final. Go take your seat on the bench. But secondly, I know Mendy saved a penalty for Senegal in the shootout in AFCON. It wasn't a great penalty. It wasn't a brilliant I, penalty save. It, he, he was in no. the right place. No, so, I mean, yeah, congratulations, Eddie. I mean, I was delighted for him. Um, I tweeted to that effect, you know. <laughs> Eddie's actually saved the penalty. That was, the most, you know, almost more significant than, than Senegal winning it for the first time. <laughs> um, obviously, I just... Uh, but no, in all seriousness, you sort of think, well, look, Kepler is incredible at penalties. He, he's just... He has like a sixth sense. And if you're basically thinking of doing a Super Cup, and bring him on for the penalty shootout. Hopefully Chelsea don't need it and do it, you know, do it in normal time. But you just sort of think, why not just start the guy? Um, Mendy will be resume his place as number one uh, when Chelsea get back. But I'm, I'm leaning towards Kepa. What, what do you think, then? I think it's really difficult. And I think, actually, longer term, it's a difficult question. Because as we've discussed at length, it's impossible for Chelsea to have any sort of path out of the Kepa situation while he's a number two. But he's he's not performing now the way he was under Lampard. He's performing like a number one goalkeeper. You know, he, yeah. he's, he, he would be worthy of playing as a number one for most teams in Europe and they, they wouldn't feel remotely insecure about it. He's not making mistakes. He's making good saves. He's, his distribution's solid. It's only the fact that Mendy has been so solid and, and really barely put a foot wrong since he came into Chelsea that makes this a such a difficult question. I think it's a big I think it's a big question for Chelsea long term because I think there there will definitely be people at the club who would like to see Kepper reinstated as number one goalkeeper at some point because that's the way you that that that's the way this 71 million pound transfer is not forever regarded as a disaster. But at the same time Mendy has a lot of credit in the bank, doesn't he? You know, Petr Cech, Christoph Lolishan put their necks out to sign him initially and, and he's validated their faith emphatically. Best keeper in, in, in the world um, last year, according to some. Um, I think, 
I don't know. I don't know. I I, I think I would play. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I would play Mendy from the start because that's the current hierarchy and then do what you did in the super cup and bring Kepper on for the shootout. You have five, five substitutes. And while I was impressed less by Mendy's save and more by his more apparent gamesmanship in that Africa cup of nations shootout, um, he was doing a lot more of the Kepper stuff of like pointedly handing the ball to the, to the taker, you know, is that ball on the spot? You know, um, like bouncing yeah. around on his line, trying to be as distracting as possible. I, I need to ask a few more questions about this, but I'd love to know if Chelsea actually have drills where their goalkeepers <laughs> practice being annoying as being as annoying yeah. as possible from from penalties. Ke- Kepa, yeah, Kepa's brilliant at it, and he really embraces his role as the villain in those shootouts. And I think it makes him better as as a saver. Um, Mendy, I think when he came in, was too nice. And he, he was too he was too quiet, and he just he he just kind of get ready for the kick, and then politely dive the other way. <laughs> um, yes. he, he he seems to be making progress, but I'd still favour Kepper in those situations. So Mendy from the start, Kepper for any sort of shootout, but Chelsea shouldn't need it. Um, yeah, right. Okay. The next the next question, I'll start on the next one, and then I'll throw it over to you. We've discussed it a bit already. Obviously, Lukaku is 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 the biggest talking point at Chelsea right now. Andrew Termer is is not happy with Lukaku. <laughs> I know this, um, and his question is essentially: Is he untouchable at the club? Given that he's started nine games in a row, um, there seems to be a concerted effort on the part of Tuchel and maybe the people above him at the club to give Lukaku every chance, particularly in in the, in the sort of wake of that interview. And thus far, it hasn't, you know, yielded the kind of results that, that anyone would have, would have hoped for. So is he untouchable? I don't, I don't think so, but I do think it's a case of Tuchel being aware and genuinely wanting to, to make Lukaku work. I think I think he's aware that if Lukaku doesn't work in the long term, it won't just reflect badly on Lukaku. I think it will reflect badly on him as well with the club. It will be one of the things that he's ultimately judged on. And if mm-hmm. if Chelsea keep competing for trophies, if they keep reaching the final of every competition they're in on the Tuchel, which is what they've done so far, and winning a fair few of them, then Tuchel will be fine even if Lukaku's underperforming. But if Lukaku's underperforming and that becomes part of the broader tapestry of, of Chelsea struggle, then that will become a massive, um, I don't know, stick to beat him with might be a bit harsh, but it certainly will be a focus of criticism and questioning, I think, internally as well as externally. So Tuchel is invested in, in making Lukaku work at Chelsea. Obviously, the people above him want Lukaku to work. He's the most expensive player Chelsea have ever signed. So I think that's more down to the run they're giving him now. And, and Zoltlo, sorry, Arno Mikel's alluded to that after the FA Cup game as well, saying that we have to show faith in him in difficult moments. Chelsea have been here before with Fernando Torres, Alvaro Morata, Andrei Shevchenko. These guys get every chance because there's too much invested in them to just discard them so quickly. But what what do you think? Yeah, I mean... Um... Like, like you, you know, very aware of Andrew's uh, <laughs> not content uh, with Lukaku, and yeah, totally understandable why why Chelsea fans, readers, have been disappointed uh, with how the season's gone. But as I as I said earlier, you know, Lukaku 
has been unfortunate given the kind of player physique he has. He needs to be training, training, training. And the ankle injury, COVID, all of that just completely threw him off. And and the only way that he can get back to the shape that he was, I don't think anyone can deny that Lukaku looked very good at the start of the season. And he actually looked very good against Aston Villa when he came off the bench. Um, he looked pretty good against Brighton the next game. Then the interview came out. But yeah, the only way that we can, we can get back to that Lukaku is if he plays. You know, he's got to sort of get back into that that sort of um, physical fitness. Uh, you know, he's he's clearly fit, but it's it's a big jump between fit and match fitness, match sharpness. And I think that's one of the issues. It's not the only issue, as, as you touched on earlier. And and then there's also that look if you spend ninety seven point five million pounds. You don't put him on the bench. You know, he's got to play. Simple as that. The 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 argument, of course, that Andrew will certainly raise, and, and understandably so, is Kai Havertz is hardly cheap. Um, and he's been on the bench. And you could argue that Chelsea played their best football this season when Havertz was leading the line. But Lukaku, he, he's the main man. You know, he's the, he's the most handsomely played player and he's the, the most expensive signing in the club's history. So he's got to play. It's as simple as that. I'm going to blend the, le- the next two questions because they're kind of similar. Um, they're both referring to a back four, essentially. Soam asks, do you think it's good to switch to a back four till, till Reese James and or Chile um, return? This might unlock Ziyech and Havertz slash Callum Hudson-Odoi in wide positions like we observed with this system. I'm presuming he's referring mainly to the, to the Tottenham games in the League Cup. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I have liked it, but I think it's very much a game per game basis I think it depends a lot on the opposition because Chelsea naturally in that system are a little bit more open a little bit more easy to get at but I do like it it does sort of allow an extra attacking player to be on the pitch and when you don't have Reese James and Ben Chilwell as good as solid pros and as you know they'll put in all the effort in the world the Spanish Giro and as for the quote and Alonso, they can't replicate the, the energy that, that James and Chilwell play. It, it is no coincidence that Chelsea's sort of loss of the, the, their title challenge is coincided with those two being outside. Um, they were flying um, back in November because James was out. His injury came in December, but yeah, it started with Chilwell. Then it, then they lost James and, you know, those two are the, are the equivalent of Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know. And, you know, imagine Liverpool without those two for a considerable amount of time. Yes, they've got reasonable backup, but they are backup for a reason. So, yeah, I, I like I like the system, but it's very much a, a game per game, depending on the opposition basis. It certainly looked good against Spurs. Yeah, I agree. I like the 4-2 Desmond. Um, gets more attackers onto the pitch. It gets more attackers in particular closer to Lukaku. And I think we saw that in both games against Spurs that there were promising signs. Yeah. But it has to be, you know, kind of within the context of who you're facing. You know, Tuchel can't be wedded to any one system. I think he has to, I think he has to react a little bit to, to the circumstances. Just quickly, I'd also be happier if Conte was Conte as one of the two. If you get my drift, like if he's at <laughs> yeah. if he's at his normal standard, 
then I'm much happier because obviously he can cover. He, uh, as is often joked about, you know, he's like two players. So then suddenly you're not as defensively vulnerable because he can cover so much ground. But at the moment, he doesn't look, as I said earlier, he doesn't like quite look um, his normal self, but I'm sure it's just a temporary thing. Sean asks, what's wrong with our slow, lethargic attacking player? Are we just tired or is there a deeper problem? Um, I think it's a little from column A, a little from column B. Um they're lethargic at the moment. I think there's there's a certain amount of physical fatigue, a certain amount of mental fatigue as well um, from, from so many games, even with the break they've had recently. And I think as the intensity of the team has dropped off, that's affected all parts of Chelsea's game, including the attack. But what we've seen under Tuchel is this is a, a broader issue. I think the the attacking system can be a bit too rigid at times. Um, it seems to be, you know, very focused on getting the wing backs opportunities uh, with lots of positional changes, and that might not always lend itself to the to to having the most ruthless attack. Even if you are sort of unconventionally asking asking questions of teams, but it does feel like a lot of Chelsea's forwards are not quite as free as they would like to be to make decisions within the system. And that also means when they do make decisions, they tend to get them wrong. <laughs> uh, we see an awful lot of passes behind a man, overhit, um, played when when a teammate's on his heels rather than running onto the ball. Chelsea find really creative ways to screw up promising situations. And that was actually also, I think, a bit of a theme under Lampard as well. So I think that there's certainly some reflection on, on this group of players as much as it's changed over the last 18 months. I think some some of the some of the attackers are young and maybe their decision making isn't as good as it will end up being. The collective chemistry isn't there. Maybe Tuchel's rotation is a part of that. Um, but I don't I don't just think it's a, a physical or mental fatigue issue. I think there, there's there's a broader tactical thing at play um and maybe a man management thing at play as well. Yeah I, I just quickly to my top and some I'd say never rule out the significance of confidence. You know, they are human. And, you know, I think you've seen players lacking confidence. But for many reasons, there's been an awful lot of chopping and changing. You, you could attribute that to people not knowing what his best team is, um, injuries, COVID, so many factors. So is it any wonder that there's no real understanding? Because these guys really haven't had the chance to develop one because every week oh, the, the team changes for one reason or another. You, you don't tend to see the same guys playing every week together up top. So yes, you sort of suddenly got a run of Lukaku starts and Ziyech has played quite a bit recently, but as we discussed earlier, last night it was Kai Havertz that played, you know, before it might have been Mason Mount or Pulisic or Hudson-Odoi, you know, so it's, it's, it, the chopping and changing hasn't helped either, but it, that's not just down to Tuchel, that's down to other circumstances. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. There'll be no quiz this week, and rest assured that's not because we all secretly hate the quiz. And, and they only ever happen because Matt Matt forces them upon us. It just wouldn't feel right to do it without Matt here to to torture us in the good natured way that he generally does every week. Um, so we're going to and skip also, that. Go can I just say? And I just want to bask in my victory for one more week. You know, um, my only solid, my only victory so far. So I just want to keep the the winning streak going as long as possible, even though it's only just one. Yeah, carry on. I'm not sure I've ever won one. Um, Anyway, yeah, so we'll just quickly round up the, the youth team and the, and the women's team. The under-19s crashed out of the youth league after a 5-1 defeat in their playoff game against, against Genk. They were second in their group and Genk had qualified from the domestic champions path and it was a rough afternoon uh, for Andy Meyer's team. There was no game for the under-23s this weekend. The under-18s play their Premier League Cup quarterfinal against Manchester United at Cobham. That's an 11am kickoff on Saturday. And the women's team have a huge game against Arsenal on Friday night. It's another sellout at Kings Meadow. And if Chelsea win, they'll go top and be a point ahead of Arsenal with a game in hand. After Friday, Chelsea have just five matches of the season to go. Four of them are against teams currently in the bottom half of the table. So if they win against Arsenal, they're in a fantastic position to close this out. Here's what they had to say about the game on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. There is a huge, mahoosive game coming up. Uh, Chelsea against Arsenal on Friday night. Arsenal won the reverse fixture. If you take your mind all the way back to the opening day of the season at the Emirates, 3-2 the score on that day, but it was a long time ago now. What will be the key here for both teams on Friday, Laura? remembering that Chelsea didn't start with Kerr and Kirby. We haven't seen much of Kirby in the last few matches either. She's come on as a sub. Is there going to be a factor there that will come into play if they start together? Yeah, potentially. I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? From a fan's point of view, it's brilliant when they do play together. I think one of the the key things for Chelsea is that they have to keep performing defensively like they have been, you know, that especially that solid back five, with including Berger. Um, I think... You know how we've seen Harder come and operate on that left-hand side and be so dominant and overload. And then when she picks up the ball, you know, she's shown her worth and her quality against Manchester United, against Man City especially. So she needs to keep doing that. And then also, I think in their high press, I think they've been like, you know, they have been very good out of possession. I think someone who is key to that is Erin Cuthbert, we know about. It'll be interesting to see whether she plays centre mid. Mm -hmm. But I think she's allowed to do that because... I do believe that Jessie Fleming, out of possession, she works so hard. She can cover two, she can cut up the deny space and press the player on the ball. You know, she's so key. Her energy and her work rate and her game intelligence is really key. So she'll be important, I think, for Chelsea. But as for Arsenal, I think 
I think it is unleash Miedemar and Blackstenius because as much as you know you can prepare all week, Chelsea can maybe prepare for those two playing, actually not having the experience and not having much video footage, it could be the surprise that and the impetus that Arsenal need. You can hear the women's football podcast every week, ad-free on the Athletic or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for putting up with this clearly makeshift podcast with a with a absolutely obviously substandard host but um I've been I was getting worried Toomey. for a minute <laughs> <laughs> I've been named to me thanks to Simon Johnson in Abu Dhabi and um we'll we'll see you on Monday hopefully with Matt to reflect on the men's and the women's teams matches The Athletic <laughs>